On today's Contract 2020 TA Education, I'll be speaking with Contract Admin Chair Seth Kornblum about Section 16, Hotel Standards. So Seth, let's start with hotels at the top. First section's general, and in there it basically talks about the crew hotel list of being required for all approved hotels. Speak to that and the role that that plays in the whole process. With the that hotel list is important because right now where it really uh, comes into play is when the company needs to source alternate rooms. And right now, when an ad hoc room is required. We have no idea where it's going to be. And the company has used a third-party provider to source ad hoc rooms. So very frequently when a crew member needs a room they were not originally scheduled for, they'll end up in a hotel that's never been looked at by the cab, never been approved in the normal process. We'll talk probably about that more when we get into the operational support towards the end. But moving along, let's talk about this provision number seven that says the swap of president or his designee will be vested with the authority to make changes or grant exceptions to the hotel standards manual on behalf of the association. First, what is the hotel standards manual and why is there a hotel standards manual? Sure. So there's a, a separate hotel standards manual in addition to uh, the guidance that's actually in the contract to allow for the fact that the hotel space is a very dynamic space. It's ever-changing. And so that hotel standards manual gives us the ability by mutual agreement without the formal side letter process, we can go ahead and meet the needs of our crew members as the hotel conditions change out there. There may be trends in the hotel industry that we need to protect our crews against in the future that we haven't yet been able to envision and the hotel standards manual is a place to do that. We were talking earlier and I guess maybe the difference between sourcing a hotel in New York City is very different process than sourcing a hotel in Lubbock. Absolutely. Having that hotel standards manual gives us the flexibility to have the language we need to protect our crew members, but also to give both the company and SWAPA the agility, if you will, to flex to meet the needs of a tiny city like, like Lubbock versus New York. But that hotel manual, it is a binding document. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's move on to section two, required accommodations. And in contract 2020, when is a room required? In Contract 2020, the language is now definitely laid out some more clear expectations of when a room is going to be provided. Uh, of course, during a layover and also during a company assigned training event, and we spell out here that including the night prior to the training event, if requested uh, by the pilot, and also during any rest period that occurs in a pilot's domicile within the footprint of the original pairing. So how would that play? So in the event of some sort of reassignment cancellation for our commuters, or even for our, our folks who are local that don't want to drive all the way back to their home, they would then be provided a hotel in base rather than having to go back to their home location or have to source their own hotel. Also, if a pilot's junior assigned at the pilot's request, the company will now provide them a hotel. And then what about the four-hour requirement that we have today? I know that that's been some disagreements in the past. Yeah, that's been kind of a silly pain point to have, which has always kind of baffled us in contract admin, why the company fights on that over a small cost issue when the whole idea is to prevent a fatigue call, really. And so in the past, there have been arguments where the company has denied a hotel because the four hours was a result of a delay rather than a scheduled four-hour break. And you know, we really, all of us, uh, impressed upon the company during negotiations that Really, it doesn't matter how you got there. You know, the fact is, yeah, if you're expected to experience ground time of four more hours, that's fatiguing. So for crying out loud, just give the pilot the hotel already. And this should eliminate a lot of those arguments. I'd like to just touch on that. I'll read the language. It says, if a pilot is estimated to experience a ground time of four hours or more. So 
estimated to experience ground time. Contract admins take on that. What does that mean? So that is whether you're scheduled to have four hours or more, or if because of a projected delay that you're going to have four hours or more, either one of those meets that criteria. And so the pilot will be granted a hotel. And what if I have a two hour delay and two hours into it, suddenly my board changes and now I have two and a half more hours. Is that four hours for that definition? Absolutely. And so any other points to make on that four hour rest period? Yeah, Kurt, we've also added the interminal rest or sleep facilities. And so if you're not familiar with those, there's a popular product out there called Minute Sweeps. They've got several locations around the country. And basically it's an area where you can either work quietly uh, in the terminal or nap. You know, some of them have some small beds in those cubicles. So we've expanded that language so that if the pilot doesn't want to go to a hotel, even if it's close to the airport, at least that Minute Suite or in terminal rest facility is something covered by the language that the company will reimburse for. Okay, so let's move on then to Section C, the Crew Accommodations Board or the CAB. It's a very Southwest unique feature. Describe to the listeners what that is and the role that they play and the role that we play at SWAPA involved with them. Sure. So the CAB is a different animal than what is around the rest of the industry. So much of the rest of the industry is dealing with third-party vendors sourcing hotels for crew members. And that's really problematic because those folks that are selecting those hotels really don't have much skin in the game. It's really all about cost and profit margin. Whereas with our crew accommodations board process here at Southwest, we've got actual crew members, pilots and flight attendants doing the work of going out there and inspecting hotels, reviewing hotels before our crew members put their head in a bed. So that's definitely a very uh, unique thing and and a very good thing. Definitely, it's nice to have fellow crew members who have skin in the game, they're going to have to sleep there at some point. And if they're delivering a product that, you know, is not up to snuff, they would obviously have to hear about it from their fellow brothers and sister crew members out there. So big fan of the cab as opposed to an outsourced third party. There have been some criticisms that the cab is less responsive or that our pilots aren't getting the feedback that they need or a negative report from the cab. I know you're not on the cab, but you work with them. What do you have to say? Is that the right path for SWAPA in this contract? I will say at times in the past, uh, there's been a lot of pilot frustration with some of the uh, product turned out by the cab. And I think we're in a good place with the cab. I like the direction they're going in. And my department contract admin, we talk with the cab frequently. And I definitely think they've got the right direction in mind, for sure. Their compass is pointed the right way. So speaking of the cab directly, the language in the CBA, the new CBA that we're going to vote on here, talks about cab members, pilot cab members, and the chair. Anything in this proposal that stands out to you that should be talked about here? Now, some of this language is old or derived from old language, but just as a refresher, the cab chair has to be a member of SWAPA in good standing. And the other thing we've added to this is that pilot cab members have to be part of every one of these site inspections, evaluations, and decision-making processes regarding hotel selections. So you're going to have fellow SWAPA pilots involved in deciding on which hotels we lay our heads in those beds in, in every city. So the next section is on hotel standards, and we already mentioned that there's the hotel standards manual. There are just a few provisions in here that aren't set aside in the hotel standards manual. What are those provisions in this section and why are they here versus over in that manual? You know, like we've talked about that sourcing hotels in LaGuardia is very different than, say, Lubbock 
but there are certain provisions that are overarching that should apply everywhere. And we want to have people have very easy, ready reference to those versus what's in the hotel standards manual gets into a little bit of minutia. So that's the nice thing about having the main provisions laid out here in the main contract without adding a bunch of pages uh, to the document. So some of those main provisions that are most important that we want crew members to know is the fact that this contract now affords them protections for desirable locations. So if you've got a long overnight, you're going to be in a location that's appropriate to a long overnight. In fact, the language requires for those long overnights longer than 14 hours and 45 minutes that the hotel has to be at a beachfront location if you're in a beachfront area or hotels within a tourist district or hotels in a city center near amenities such as dining, recreation, and historical and cultural attractions. And then if you're uh, on a short layover, we've got something relatively close to the airport. And for those intermediate layovers, which is defined by the new contract as between 13 hours and up to 14 hours and 45 minutes, for those intermediate ones, the company has the ability to flex and provide a hotel that's either more appropriate for a short or long location. But it's really, really nice from a quality of life standpoint to have the appropriate location for your layover based on the number of hours you're scheduled for. One comment that I heard, and this might just be a rumor, when the flight attendant TA came out, they have similar language to this, but I think it says something like the company must consider the long short. Is this considered language or is this binding? No, this is binding. What we have in our book is binding. And, you know, after we came up with this language, I know the company in the flight attendants union ended up using some of our language as sort of a template, but ours is definitely binding. And how does this language apply the long short split if I get reassigned? So what if I was scheduled to have an overnight of 12 hours, but I get reassigned and now I've got 17 hours on my overnight? What is that? Do I change hotels or do I keep what I originally had or does it depend? This is still based on scheduled. It's tough for the company to be able to flex like that when they've got their plan in place for you to be on an overnight of so many hours. And it's tough for the hotels to be able to flex as far as van times, when they pick you up, when they drop you off and all that. So it does stick by scheduled layover time. However, there is a self-walk provision in this document where if you've got a situation where you're not going to be adequately rested for the next duty period and crew scheduling won't fix it, you can in fact, quote, self-walk and get yourself a hotel in a more suitable location if need be. But these are still planned based on your plan scheduled. So let's move on to international overnight accommodations. This looks pretty similar to what we have in our current book. Any meaningful changes there? No, it's pretty similar to what we had before as far as those international requirements. All right, moving on to the next section, uh, transportation requirements. I know this is something that sometimes gets a little bit of play. We get some emails about it. So tell us about transportation requirements in 2020. I know there's a perception sometimes that crew hotels are a constant issue. The data shows otherwise that uh, while, yeah, there are problems, they're not really that systemic. However, when there are hotel problems, the vast majority, and this is not unique to Southwest Pilots, this is industry-wide, drawing upon my experience elsewhere in the industry doing hotel evaluations, I can tell you everybody has transportation issues. That's always the biggest complaint, transportation to the hotel, transportation from the hotel. And we have taken great pains to make sure that the pain points that uh, we know of here at Southwest have been addressed. Let's talk about those pain points. A big one is I get done with my trip. I get out to the curb. The van's not there. We call up. Van's 10 minutes out. And it's always 10 minutes out, but it takes 30 minutes. So have we fixed that? Yeah, I do believe we have. What we've got now is a backstop. If the van is running late or you get the proverbial, oh, it's just 10 minutes away, it's 10 minutes away, we do have a protection now. 
So the protection we've achieved says that 30 minutes after you block in, if your hotel van is not ready to depart for the hotel, you can, in fact, self-source your own transportation and the company will reimburse you. And we've also achieved company commitment, and it's in the definition section of the contract that says that alternate transportation can be a premium rideshare. So Uber Black, that sort of level of car service. So 30 minutes after block-in, if the hotel transportation is not ready to roll to the hotel at your choice, you can go ahead and self-source your own and you will be reimbursed. And what's really important about this, contrary to popular belief, you don't need to have a mother may I. In other words, you don't need to call chat knock. You don't need to call crew scheduling to ask for permission, which, you know, is another big pain point. So on your own, 30 minutes past block in, if you want, you can be in your own transportation and premium ride share. All right. So back on the curb, I know another problem that we have is the van's there. That's great. I get on the van and then they say, okay, but now we're waiting for two more crews and they're going to be landing in 10 minutes. So then we end up sitting there for an extra 30 plus minutes. So we specifically wrote the language to guard against that. The language says, in the event the transportation to the hotel does not or will not depart for the hotel within 30 minutes of lock-in. That was written very deliberately to guard against that scenario. All right. That's good. So then let's flip it to the next day. So I have my overnight. Now it's the morning and a big complaint we always have, especially on those early AMs. I think of Philadelphia all the time. You know, you have your 6 a.m. report and they leave an hour and a half prior for a 15, 20 minute because they're trying to pack in three crews in the morning. Have we fixed that? Absolutely. Yeah, that's been a constant pain point and, and a personal frustration of mine. And also I feel that frustration when I've had crew members call contract admin with that complaint. So we've also achieved language here that guards against that scenario. And we've got language that says, in the event that transportation to the airport does not or will not depart from the hotel in alignment with the required report, and the pilot is unable to adjust the company provided transportation, pilot may obtain alternate transportation at the company's expense. So again, and this is Uber Black, Lyft Black, premium rideshare type car service. So that adequately addresses that concern. That problem should no longer be a problem for our pilots. Do we need to worry about it says in alignment with required report? What does that mean? It means you're going to need to use good judgment here. So there are times if you're leaving a city like Philadelphia or New York City, some of those drives are just lengthy by nature. And that's just the way it is. That's the downside of being in a downtown location. So you got to take the good with the bad there. So when some of those vendors have set those times far in advance, a lot of times there's a good reason for it. But in situations where using your judgment, you realize, well, gee whiz, this is just a case of the company trying to save on van drivers by doubling up crews and there would actually be adequate time to leave later. That's the kind of situation where you'd have the flexibility to go ahead and source your own transportation there. Moving on to section G, accommodation selection and ongoing review process. This sort of ties back to the cab. I think this is maybe a little bit more involved with SWAPA's role or engagement in this. Talk about that. Absolutely. This language is definitely going to help achieve more of a cooperative spirit. And the cab will now meet with SWAPA upon request. And I've already spoken with the cab chair at length. And we're planning monthly meetings to discuss hotel issues. So definitely more of a partnership rather than uh, once upon a time, let's just say it wasn't the case. You do think that that will have a positive impact on the ability for SWAPA to have some influence on the cab selection process or the review process or? Both, really. The section is titled Selection and Ongoing Review Process. And again, when I've spoken with the cab about this new language, that's the vision shared by both parties here. 
I do want to ask a question. I've read it before out there and it says that one thing that we didn't get here that is at other carriers is the kind of a veto at Alpa. They can say, cancel this hotel or we're not going to stay at this hotel. How come we don't have that here? So I've heard that sentiment from some of our board members. And when we did the research on this, we found that this idea that most airline pilots can just universally veto a particular hotel is really urban legend, if you will. When we've analyzed the other big airlines contracts, usually there's a meet and discuss provision and a dispute resolution process if there's a disagreement, but we don't see anyone that's got an automatic veto by the union. And we've got language in here that says, if we bring our concern to the cab, CAB has to give us a plan to remedy the shortfall to SWAPA within 14 days, which is more aggressive, more pilot favorable than some of our industry peers that have 30 days or even longer. And we feel really good about this. You know, any relationship is usually improved by more communication. And the fact that meetings upon request are now required and the fact that CAB now has to share their data, their statistics on hotels, hotel complaints, these things are going to help the selection and ongoing review process without a doubt. So do we not have access to the data now, or how do we find out about problems today under the current contract and in the future? So we have a good relationship with the cab, but I will say at times in the past, uh, some of that data was held uh, very close to the vest by the company and cab. But like I said, I'm very happy with the direction we've got with the, the current cab leadership. And just to protect us in the future, the expectations are spelled out. So there's no misunderstandings, the shared mental model, if you will, that there will be meetings upon request and that they will share their data statistics. All right, let's move on to section H, which is operational support. Obviously, we've had a lot of operational support problems in the last few years. I think it's gotten somewhat better, at least in 2023, but still issues. So how do we solve those or what's the approach here in the new proposal? Yeah, we've been at times dissatisfied with the operational support. We've even had to grieve the fact that there hasn't been sufficient operational support as far as getting our crew members hotels timely at points in the past. So we took the approach that we understand you cannot build a church for Christmas and Easter. Uh, in other words, we can't expect them to staff chat knock or whatever you want to call it, a department that procures hotels ad hoc. You can't expect them to be staffed for the blizzard all the time. We do have that expectation, but we understand that it's hard to get that model quite right. So what we've done is put the tools in the pilot's hands here. So we've got a provision that says if the pilot's unable to reach crew scheduling, which also means chat knock, or reach them and does not have a hotel assigned within 30 minutes from block-in, that you can go ahead and source your own hotel and you'll be reimbursed for that. And so finally that's codified, so there's no longer any worry. Another thing we put in into that same provision is also another 30 minute trigger from the time a schedule change occurs, which triggers the need for the overnight. Why is that? What's that for? So let's take a scenario like Denver. You know, you're sitting at the gate and you're not even supposed to be in Denver that night, but you're there at the gate in Denver and they have a sudden weather event. And now all of a sudden your flight cancels. So there's no longer a block in to tie the 30 minutes to anymore. So you can't really get upset with the company for not having a hotel because nobody knew. So now that 30 minute clock starts at the time your schedule changed. And if there's any dispute over when that happened, you can pull up your own crew member transactions and you can see when the latest version of your trip was put on your board. And again, if you don't have a hotel on your screen within 30 minutes, this does not relieve them of their obligation to get you the room. But if you want to, once that 30 minutes occurs, you can go ahead and take care of yourself. I do want to ask you specifically about provision H7 that says pilot hotel rooms assigned following a planned period will be secured in the following prioritization. So this is execution. This is after planning. And then we list four or five different priorities. Talk through those, please. 
So like we talked about earlier, whether you get a long overnight hotel or a short overnight hotel is based upon the planned schedule. But in actual execution, things can change due to reroutes, what have you. And so if that were to occur, once we're past the planning period, which is when hotels would initially be assigned, now this language here in provision number seven would apply. And so in this order, they have to first try to put you in the normal contracted crew hotel that would comply with the long short language. If they can't do that, they can then reutilize any pre-purchased rooms in either the long or the short. So then they have the flexibility to do that there. If there's no hotel rooms pre-purchased already, then the company goes to our alternate hotel list. And this is huge because right now what happens is the company uses a third-party vendor to source a hotel. But what they're going to have to do now at this point is use CAB-approved alternate hotel list. CAB, when they're out doing hotel site inspections now, they're also approving alternate hotels or backup hotels, if you will. Is that in all of our cities, do you know, or is it just a few, or is it going to be all? Going forward, it's going to be an all, and Swappa will have access to that list, so we'll know what those hotels are. Now, if there's no hotel rooms available at any of those alternate hotels, then the company needs to look at other full-service hotels. And by full-service hotels, we mean hotels that are staffed around the clock that have full meal service as well. I think we talk about that in the hotel standards manual. We do. That's correct. And only if the company has gone through provisions A through D with no luck being able to find a hotel, only then can they go to the limited service properties, which are your hotels that don't have meal service. Seth, I think the hotel standards manual sort of speaks for itself as far as what the standards are. I think it's pretty self-evident, 24-hour staffing and a gym and food and restaurant, that kind of stuff. But one provision in there that I think is worth talking about in this podcast It's in the standards and I'll I'll read it to you and help me understand what it says. It says, pilot hotels will be rated not less than first class as defined by the hotel and travel index or not less than three diamonds by AAA. Association approval will be required if the hotel is not ranked by either the hotel and travel index or AAA. So I guess my question is, what are those ratings and what does it mean to our pilots? What we were trying to capture And everyone's on the same page, both uh, the company and us, is the fact that we're talking about full-service hotels going forward. The goal is to maintain the level of quality that our pilots are used to or better. So what we're talking about here are hotels of the caliber like a Marriott, Hilton, Renaissance, Westin, Embassy, Doubletree. Like I said, the kind that we're accustomed to in most places. The uh, hotel and travel index, travel weekly, uh, North Star System, level six, and the AAA three diamond rating system, you know, they have a little bit of slop in them. Uh, they're not always perfect, but between the two of those together, we're just affirming that, again, we're talking about full service hotels of the caliber of the brands that I described. Seth, I want to call your attention to the next provision, uh, number eight there, that says, if there are rooms available for purchase at a contracted crew hotel that meet the standards outlined in section 16D2 through 4, which are the long short split, Rooms will be purchased prior to placing a pilot in another pre-purchased room. What does that mean? We're saying that you need to be still honoring the long and the short whenever possible in our standard contracted crew hotels. Before I let you go, I just, I know the questions are going to come up. Is this language going to provide for better hotels overall, the same, worse? What's your take as a former hotel committee guy? I think this language is going to lead to definitely a better hotel experience overall. Uh, Does the language say the hotel has to be fancy per se? Does it have to be decorated a certain way? No, of course not. But will the pilots experience there be 
what the pilot needs and will the pilot be able to have a stress-free layover? Yeah, I absolutely believe this language will achieve that. Thanks for listening. For more information, check out the Contract 2020 TA Education page on swapa.org.